This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles as we continue our studies in Jeremiah. Tonight we are in Jeremiah chapter 25, looking at verses 15 through 38. Jeremiah 25, 15 through 38. Hear the Word of God. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as it is this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt his servants, his officials, all his people, and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz, and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, all the kings of the coastland across the sea, Dedan, Turna, Buzz, all who cut the corners of their hair, all the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, the kings of Media, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth. And after them the king of Babylon shall drink. Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink! Be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. You, therefore, shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. Clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And those pierced by the the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. Wail, you shepherds, and cry out, and roll in ashes, you lords of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come. And you shall fall like a choice vessel. No refuge will remain for the shepherds, nor escape for the lords of the flock. A voice, the cry of the shepherds, and the wail of the lords of the flock. For the Lord is laying waste their pasture, and the peaceful folds are devastated because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Like a lion, he has left his lair, 
For their land has become a waste because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. Let's pray. Father, in this evening hour, as we study this passage of your word, we pray for your light, the light of your spirit. Pray, Father, you'd give us alert minds to think your thoughts after you in the study of this portion of your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible often uses images for God, images that we know, images that we are familiar with, images like he's a shepherd, he's a father, he's a judge, he's a king. Well, in this passage, there is an image for God that may not be one that you would quickly associate with God, God as cosmic bartender. Take from my hand this cup of wine, he says to his prophet, Jeremiah. Now, it was a cup that was full. It was brimming with the wine of God's wrath. And as the passage tells us, he handed the cup to Jeremiah. But it wasn't for Jeremiah to drink. It was for Jeremiah to pass on. Make all the nations to whom I send you, Jeremiah, drink it. And the effects of drinking this cup would be horrible. Just some brief description in verse 16. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed, maddened uh, because of it. Uh, Verse 27, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword I am sending among you. Question is, who? Who will it be? Who is going to drink, if it's not Jeremiah, who is going to drink this cup of the bitter wine of the wrath of God? Well, tonight we want to answer that question as we look look at and study this passage tonight, specifically uh, organizing our thinking around three truths that we learn from this passage. First of all, first truth that we learn, God's judgment is ultimately universal. It is universal. And we see this in verses 15 and following. Uh, where the Lord hands Jeremiah the cup. He says, take this, make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Now, there is something symbolic here. Uh, Jeremiah did not travel to all of these nations. In fact, he may simply have been in the temple area in Jerusalem and in the direct, you know, maybe held a cup of wine toward the direction of each of these nations. It's a symbolic act. And the cup itself, obviously, is symbolic of God's judgment. At times he expresses it as the sword of nations that God would use in judgment on other nations. Uh, But Jeremiah is his prophet and to deliver this message. And so verse 17, Jeremiah says, so I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord had sent me to drink it. Who were those nations? Well, it starts, verse 18, Jerusalem. And the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and curse, as it is at this day. Now, if you've been with us in the study in Jeremiah, uh, you know that God has it in for Jerusalem and Judah because of their persistent uh, rebellion against the Lord, despite his patience, despite his calling them back to himself, despite the many opportunities he gave them to uh, turn from their idolatry, to turn from their perversity, to return to the Lord in his grace, receive his forgiveness. They wouldn't do it. And so finally, uh, he is determined to destroy them, to uh, bring his judgment to bear. Uh, And he did. 
and a remnant was spared in exile in Babylon, as we uh, discussed last time. So we're familiar with that. This is, this is not new. But it begins there. It doesn't end there, however. Uh, he mentions, goes on in verse 19, uh, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, all his people. Uh, interesting you would mention Pharaoh in Egypt for a couple of reasons. One, that was the nation out of whom uh, he had brought Israel, you know, under Moses. But more recently, that was a nation, uh, ironically, that, that Judah was looking to for help, for uh, a mutual defense pact, for protection and alliance. Um, and so God has already warned them not to do that, but they've done that. And so God says along with them, Egypt, Pharaoh, all these in whom Jerusalem trusted other than the Lord. And then he goes on this list of various nations of the world, this travelogue, uh, generally working its way from south to north uh, in verse 20 and following. I won't read through all of those again, but um, many of them are names uh, you've encountered if you're familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, Uz, uh, the Philistines, uh, various cities that you may know the names of some of them. The Edomites, the Moabites, uh, Ruth, of course, was from Moab, the Ammonites, sons of Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, uh, and other, other nations, Arabia, various nations that are mentioned. Verse 26, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, all the kingdoms of the world, they're on the face of the earth. So after being very specific, he just becomes very general. He says all of them. And then last... Even Babylon, after them, the king of Babylon shall drink, which seems to imply that Babylon is going to be his instrument of judgment on, on the most of, if not all of these other nations. But then even Babylon herself would experience the judgment of God. It's interesting, your translation may read, instead of Babylon there, Shishak. Uh, there's a footnote in the ESV to that, to that effect. Uh, a code name for Babylon. That uh, actually... Um, is what the text, the Hebrew text says, Shishak, which is a code, a simple code called an Atbah, where you just take the letters of the alphabet and reverse them. So if the actual word has an A, or in Hebrew, an Aleph, uh, then it would become the final letter of the alphabet. Uh, a, a B would become, or Bet would become the next to the last letter uh, of the alphabet. Now, the Hebrew word actually for Babylon is Babel, Babel. Uh, and so the B, the second letter of the alphabet, actually becomes uh, a letter that has a sound of sh, like that, uh, shin. And uh, there's two Bs in Hebrew. They just have the consonants, uh, so B-B-L, basically, uh, bet, bet, and lamed. So the bets both become sh sound, a shin, and uh, the Lama, the L, becomes a K, or Kaf. So instead of Babel, you have Shishak, where you supply the vowel, Shishak, something like that. Now, why it was in code, he's already mentioned Babylon. This could reflect uh, an earlier practice of referring to Babylon in sort of this coded way, so not to be uh, suspected. But he mentions uh, code or not, he's talking about Babylon. Uh, but even after they have been God's instrument of judgment on all these other nations, they themselves will fall. And that happened uh, with the Persians. You, you can read about that in Daniel. You know, Daniel served in Babylon, and then later he served Persia uh, in, his, in his later life. And so who's going to drink this cup of God's wrath? Well, certainly Judah and Jerusalem 
uh, God's own covenant people for their rebelliousness, though he would spare a remnant, preserve them, bring them back, uh, but the other nations of the world as well. But it goes even beyond that. And by the way, this cup language is, is not unique to this passage in the Old Testament. Psalm 75, verse 8, from the hand of the Lord, there's a cup foaming with wine, well mixed. And he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Isaiah 51, 17, wake up, uh, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Um, so it's a common metaphor. But you move into the New Testament, and uh, you see this, this whole image of God's general uh, judgment, whether the image of the cup is used or not. In some places it is. Romans 1 speaks of God giving them over because they rejected the knowledge of him. God gave them over to their sin. That's an expression of judgment. Sometimes sin is its own punishment. God giving you over to live in your sin, withdrawing his grace from you and saying essentially, fine, if you want to live in your sin, I'm going to remove my restraints from you and let you live in your sin, is itself a judgment. Revelation 14, this familiar image of the cup returns. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark, its name. In other words, those who are opposed to the Lord, those who reject him. So these nations of the world, but in essence what Jeremiah is saying is God's wrath goes out to everyone. Then... And now, people today who are included, who will drink this awful cup? All of those outside of God's mercy in Christ, in his covenant. All of those outside of Christ. It is a universal judgment that Jeremiah describes here. We've seen how the focus on Judah and Jerusalem, but it goes much bigger than that. Now, the second thing that we learn from this passage is that God's judgment is not only universal, it's inescapable. It's universal in its scope, but it is also inescapable for every single person outside of Christ. Verses 27 and 28 and 29, uh, we see that we can't say, no, thank you, Lord. You know, if someone offers you a drink of whatever, you might say, well, no, thanks. Or maybe yes, but uh, yeah, you can certainly decline it. Um, it's like something to eat. No, thanks. I'm not hungry. Whatever it is. Well, this offer you may not decline. Look at verse uh, 27. Then you say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword I'm sending against you. Uh, no, thanks, Lord. I would rather not. This is what he says. Verse 28. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must Drink. You may not decline it. You will not escape it. You can't take a bye. Uh, it, it just won't work. He won't allow that. He says you must drink this cup. There's no way getting around it. It's going to happen. And he goes on to reason in verse 29 that if God judges his own, how will the nations escape? 
Look at verse uh, 29. Behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that's called by my name, Jerusalem. You know, the people that I brought and established, and in their rebellion, I'm chastening them, I'm judging them. And if I did that with them, he says, if I began to work disaster at the city called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. I'm summoning a sword against you. Now, if you're thinking there, that may remind you of something in the New Testament. Remember where Peter, in 1 Peter 4.17, is talking about Christians suffering, particularly suffering persecution. And he says, we're not to suffer for being evildoers. We're not to bring it on ourselves. But if we suffer for the name of Christ, then that's a, that's a, that's a good thing, to be identified with Christ and suffer for him uh, as a follower of Jesus. And he goes on to say this, for if it's time for judgment to begin at the house, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He's talking about Christian suffering. And in effect, Peter is saying this, you know, if we who are God's chosen, beloved, redeemed, blood-bought people, and we suffer, what will it be like for those outside God's covenanted mercy and grace? That's exactly what Jeremiah says. I wonder if Peter wasn't thinking of that. What Jeremiah says here, you know, if Jerusalem and Judah are going to experience the displeasure of God for their waywardness, what about those outside God's covenant? What about those who have never known his mercy? You see, it's inescapable. Other passages in the scriptures speak to this. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, we must all, he's writing to Christians, we must all appear before the judgment throne of God to answer for those things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, in Christ, you know, he, he is our cover. He, it, it, it's his blood shed for us that protects us in that judgment. But Paul says, even if Christians, we will at least have to put in an appearance and be acquitted and received on the basis of Christ's work. Hebrews 9, 27, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, you know, to die and then to appear before the Lord. You see, this judgment is inescapable. And people seem to think, well, God's not going to do anything, or he doesn't care, or somehow it'll all work out. No, it won't. Apart from Christ, you stand under the judgment of God. That cup is set before you, and you must drink it. But then the third thing we see here, God's judgment is not only universal, it's not only inescapable, but it is terrifying. We've already looked at a couple of the images of that drunkenness, that maddened staggering. Um, some other images that follow in this passage, and just look at them quickly. Uh, the image of a lion on the prowl. Uh, it actually begins and ends with that. Verse 30, the Lord will roar from on high. And then verse uh, 38, like a lion, he has left his lair. A lion on the prowl. The Lord's, uh, the Lord's judgment is like a lion. Treading out grapes, verse 31. He'll shout like those who tread grapes. Interesting metaphor. Uh, of how you know they would make wine by treading out the grapes, walking, and they would, they would shout or chant to be in rhythm so they don't step on each other's feet. The interesting thing is that's now to shout. It, it may, reference may just be to the noise, but it was a pleasant noise. They were celebrating a harvest, and it may be a, uh, an indication that God is not unwilling or reluctant to display the glory of his judgment and his holiness just as he's not uh, unwilling to display the glory of his grace or his mercy. 
This shout was a pleasant sound. It was a joyful sound. God is glorified in the judgment of the wicked, just as he is glorified in the salvation of the righteous. Another image quickly in verse 32 is that of a hurricane, a great tempest stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. Anyone who has grown up in a coastal area knows what it's like when you hear a hurricane is heading your way. It's scary. They are scary. They are powerful. They are destructive. Uh, That's the image, a great storm moving in. Uh, Several places, the image of slaughter, verse 34, the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come. The leaders, because they've led the people astray, are being held accountable. Verse 36, the cry of the shepherds, the wail of the lords of the flock, the Lord is laying waste their pasture, the peaceful folds are devastated. Uh, Verse 34, that of a broken vessel, you shall fall like a choice vessel, shattering, breaking uh, into pieces. And so there's these images just in this passage. And the Bible, of course, adds other images. The New Testament, Jesus himself, the judgment of God, of God being like, like a, a gnawing worm that doesn't die, like a fire that never goes out, that's not quenched, it just burns. Gehenna, that trash dump to the south of Jerusalem where the smoke was always going up that was used as an image of hell itself. Uh, these various images that we've seen in Scripture and here that indicate the terrifying, frightening nature of God's judgment, of God's wrath and judgment against the wicked. A bleak picture, no doubt about it. The universal, inescapable, terrifying judgment of a holy God against wicked, rebellious, sinful people. Is there any hope? Is there any possibility of escape? Absolutely. Because this same holy God is the God of grace. The God who sent his son to bear his own judgment. What does God save us from? Ultimately, God saves us from himself. His holiness, his judgment, that in his grace, it's not that he he relents, it's not that he gives us a pass on our sin, but that he provides the one, the substitute, who will come suffer his own judgment for our sin, who will suffer the wrath of God for us, for whoever will trust in him. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the cross, praying to his Father, Father, if it's possible, let this pass from me. Let what pass from me? Let this cup pass from me. What cup? Very cup of which Jeremiah speaks to us tonight. That awful, bitter, maddening, staggering cup of hell itself. You know, no wonder Jesus shrank back from the prospect of the cross. Yes, from the physical agony, to be sure, who wouldn't? But far, far greater than that was Jesus knew that being on that cross would mean suffering the wrath, the judgment, the curse of God, the prospects of drinking the cup of the wine of the wrath of his Father. Nevertheless, Jesus said, not my will, but yours, Father, be done. And so we went to the cross, and there Jesus drank this cup. He drank it down. He drank it down, down, down to the last bitter dregs until it was all gone. And then he said, it is finished. And then he died. 
Do you see why it's important to study Jeremiah? You know, someone will say, oh, judgment, judgment, judgment. Yes, but how can you understand the gospel if you don't understand judgment? How can you appreciate good news if you don't understand the bad news? How can you understand Jesus if you don't understand Jeremiah? How can you appreciate what Jesus saved you for if you don't understand what Jesus saved you from? Jesus drank this cup. Drank it for you, for me, for everyone who sees the sinfulness of their sin and the offense it is to a holy God and flees to Jesus in faith into his saving arms. You see, he drank it so that we who trust in him would never have to. Now, you and I will drink a cup one day. You and I who are in Christ will drink a cup one day to be sure. But one thing it won't be is the cup of God's wrath. Rather, it will be the cup of that sweet wine, a celebration served at the wedding banquet of the Lamb. Jesus said, I won't drink from this cup again until I drink it new with you in my kingdom. If you are in Christ tonight, you have the prospect of drinking a cup, but it's not the cup Jeremiah was handed. It is the cup that Jesus himself will hand you in that celebration in glory where we're all together with the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he drained this cup dry for us, that he drank all of it, all of your wrath, all of your judgment against my sin, against our sin, and all who have trusted in him, so that there is nothing you have left for us but welcome, but delight, but love. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. We praise you. We love you. We recognize that we will never appreciate fully the suffering, the misery from which you have saved us. And Father, we thank you for sending your Son. Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing us to Jesus. Thank you for sparing us this awful wrath. But Lord, we recognize that there are many all around us, the people we know, uh, who still face the prospect of Jeremiah's cup, the cup of the wine of the wrath of God. Father, we pray. By your grace, they might know you, be spared that cup, drink of the cup of your salvation. Father, be with us this week. Help us to live in the joy of your salvation. Help us to live as your people, to love you, love one another. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.